0: From KQED. From KQED Public Radio, I'm Michael Krasny. Welcome to Forum. We are experiencing fires the likes of which we haven't seen in many, many years. That is a resource challenge. That was California Governor Gavin Newsom yesterday and the state is fighting at least 367 fires after lightning struck close to 11,000 times over the course of a few days amid an intense heat wave. A Vacaville-based PG&E worker has died while helping first responders in the LNU lightning complex of fires, which have burned more than 124,000 acres and destroyed 105 structures in Sonoma, Lake, Napa, and Solano counties. Coming up on Forum, we'll get an update on the fires raging across the Bay Area, and we want to hear from you. That's all next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Along with hot temperatures, wind, and low humidity, wildfires raging across Northern California are in part due to a historic lightning siege, which, according to CAL FIRE Chief Jeremy Ron, included Almost 11,000 lightning strikes that sparked over 367 fires across the state. In San Mateo County and Santa Cruz Counties, the CZU lightning complex has burned more than 40,000 acres. And according to CAL FIRE, 22,000 people have been evacuated, 20 structures have been destroyed, and a further 8,600 structures are still threatened. And in Lake Napa, Sonoma, and Solano counties, the LNU complex fire is out of control, having more than doubled an area since yesterday, destroying more than 105 structures and forcing at least 15,000 people to evacuate. This hour, we're going to get the latest on the Bay Area wildfires. Joining us first is KQED reporter, Julia McAvoy, who's in Vacaville. Welcome, Julia. Hi, Michael. Hi, glad to have you aboard here and thank you for all the work you're doing up there. I know you've been talking to firefighters and they've been making heroic efforts to hold the line last night between Vacaville and Fairfield. Uh, and you're at the Wilsey Woods High School. We'll talk about that, which is an evacuation center. But first, tell us what the firefighters have been saying to you
1: yeah thanks michael when i rolled up here still in the dark this morning and i just passed uh, red top road i could see off to my left uh, the fire actually still burning on the crest on the left side of the highway but i met a little bit further along in lagoon valley park uh, chief uh, battalion chief Dave Rogers from Vacaville and he said uh, they tried to keep the fire from crossing the 80 uh, last night uh, they kind of couldn't catch it he said there was too much winds not enough resources so they took a step back and they were able to hold it uh, there um, where I stood with him there was these uh, cornfields which had been charred and you could see where the tractors had cut a large swath which uh, he said is part of what the city did to create a fire break there and it, it actually helped help with that and he also credited the fact that the city had grazed cattle on the ridge behind us uh, to get the vegetation down. So uh, they were able to hold that fire there. He'd been up for almost uh, 48 straight hours, and he was about to take a break, a needed break.
0: Well, Vacaville has been one of the hardest hit. The LNU fire among these complex fires is one of the most intense, and I know volunteers are helping uh, there at least what, uh, you're in a local high school there, as I said, the Wilsey Woods High School, and I know that it's been difficult, particularly with COVID-19, to keep people physically distanced. Can you give us a picture of just how complicated it's been in evacuation?
1: Yes, inside the high school door is a volunteer. She's one of the principals in the school district here, Cecily Rhoda, and Uh, you know she got texts in the middle of the night uh, that people needed to evacuate she the school district opened up the high schools and she was volunteering here as of 6 this morning basically handing out masks making sure that people's temperatures were being taken uh, giving hand sanitizer out and uh, she said that you know what happened last night was that this school filled up they had they've got a big old gym normally they can hold a lot of people but the quota here because of COVID was just 50 and then they had to start turning people away because of the physical distancing issues and they had to open up another high school uh, another k-8 elementary school i should say and then send people over there so uh you know she talked about the hidden uh, the silver lining here of people pulling together to help each other out right now uh but definitely COVID 19 is complicating uh some of the rescues and the firefighting efforts out here
0: and how has the well what are you finding from the people who are there that is the evacuees what are they saying to you
1: well uh, just in this parking lot outside the the high school there's a couple campers and in one of these rvs was uh, a family a couple uh Brittany and kevin pratt they've got uh, three children under seven they had to leave their home at 2 30 in the morning they could see the fire coming mind you they had just moved into this home two weeks ago michael and they got all their kids out they got their they also got their animals out there were chickens there were bunnies there's a dog some cats and they slept here in the parking lot they woke up early in the dark went back to see what happened to their home michael it was still standing, but next door, just 200 yards away, was a neighbor's home that had burned to the ground. And the couple in that home, standing outside looking at that charred remains, had been in that home for 40 years.
0: Well, this has just been so devastating for so many, not only with the loss of homes, but with the complications of COVID-19. And thank you for all your on-site reporting, Julia. I'm much appreciative. Glad to be here. That's Julia McAvoy. And good luck to you. Uh, She's in Vacaville. We're going to go now to KQD reporter Rachel Myro, who's in Half Moon Bay. Welcome, Rachel. Good morning. Good morning, Michael. Well, let's find out where you are and what you are seeing.
2: Well, it's a very different situation than the one we just heard Julia describe. I'm here at uh, Half Moon Bay High School, which is the new evacuation center for San Mateo County. New because the fire is spreading north. It's up to 40,000 uh, uh, acres, and I should mention it's really a complex. It's multiple fires, right? So it's uh, before the evacuation center was at Pescadero High School, uh, that's now under uh, evacuation warnings uh, along with La Honda. So uh, people who uh, need to leave and don't have family or friends to, to leave to are being encouraged to come to Half Moon Bay High School where they are not, Uh, receiving shelter as of this point. What they're receiving are uh, referrals for hotel rooms because of the coronavirus pandemic and because um, a lot of people have already uh, left in recent days. Uh, An estimated 25,000 people uh, have been recommended to evacuate the, the this vast swath of territory in the Santa Cruz Mountains going down to the coast. Um, So a lot of people are already gone. uh, But for those people who don't have an answer as to where they can stay now, uh, you know, you can get a referral for a hotel room at Half Moon Bay High School.
0: Can you talk a bit about how COVID is complicating all of this?
2: Well, it's exactly that, right? You know, people do not want to shelter in large uh, groups uh especially indoors uh and at especially at this time if if it turns out that there are so many evacuees that the the Red Cross and the community group that uh, I talked with the executive director of Puente de la Costa Sur if they can't line up enough hotel rooms uh then they'll have to shift to to a shelter response but they're trying very hard not to get there
0: you've got a lot of spanish speaking people in that population can you talk about what's being done to help them
2: so, I, I just mentioned that group Puente de la Costa Sur, and, uh, they're offering a, a Spanish language texting service, uh, to the communities here, uh, in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Uh, but one of the things, uh, that people will tell you who live here, you know, it's, uh, a lot of rural area, uh, a, a lot of people are very resilient, uh, but also community focused. They talk to each other, they help each other, and, um, you know, for, for all kinds of needs, not just, uh, Uh, you know, uh, immediate shelter, but also things like uh, animal rescue for large animals, like horses and goats.
0: Well, it's an ongoing devastating situation. We're just hearing, in fact, about historic buildings being destroyed at Big Basin, Redwood State Park, the oldest state park in California. You know anything about that, Rachel, or can you address it?
2: I I can't address that particular incident, but, you know, uh, a lot of this territory, Michael, has not burned in 50 years. Five zero. So, so a lot, there's a, just a huge amount of incredibly dry vegetation, a lot of parkland, but also we know that, um, that lots of structures, many of them homes, have burned uh, in the last few days. And at this point, given the situation, given the high temperatures and, and all of this dry vegetation, uh, fire officials are, are expecting that things are going to get a lot worse in the next two days
0: yeah i'm afraid that's what we are reading and hearing as well good to have you with us rachel thanks for all the good work you're doing much appreciated
2: thank you thank you
0: and we're getting the latest news about the bay area wildfires uh let me introduce a couple of people who will be joining us for the rest of the hour ken pimlott is with us former chief of the california department of forestry and fire protection ken good to have you welcome to the program
3: thank you good morning
0: good morning to you and scott stevens is also with us professor of fire science at uc berkeley's department of environmental science policy and management welcome scott stevens good morning good morning to you uh scott we're coming up on a quick break here but i want to just go to you first reuters is uh reporting that the fires are less ferocious than they were in 2019 but i'm reading just the opposite i think uh at this point they've exceeded 2019 or have they
4: I think that there's just so many going simultaneously and also so much lightning ignitions near urban areas this time. You know, in 2008, we had another huge lightning binge. A lot of those fires were in the Klamath Mountains of Sierra Nevada. This one was really more targeted to centers of population, which makes it, I think, much more difficult.
0: And Ken, uh, if I can bring you aboard here, this, you have a 30-year career. I don't think you've ever really seen anything like this, have you?
3: Well, certainly in the last several years, uh, you know, we've been really seeing things escalate towards this. But I I think it's really what Scott said. It's where these fires have started, the number of ignitions and uh, where they're related to urban areas. Um, It's a lot of fire all at once. And it's certainly created uh, impacts, uh, unlike I think we've seen in the past.
0: And of course, even though we were prepared in so many ways, uh, the resources are Falling by the wayside, in many respects, the governor has gone to a great extent to bring three other states in Arizona, Texas, and Nevada for help. Uh, got about 375 engines, but uh, we're really hurting in terms of resources here. And talk for a minute, if you could, before we go to a quick break about containment. Can you, Kent?
3: Yeah, well, it's really with so many fire ignitions, 367 fires reported uh, yesterday, and there are probably still more that we haven't seen yet, because there's still, there's sleeper fires that haven't come to life. Um, it quickly overwhelms the amount of resources in the state, and California alone has more resources than any other state. And so the challenge here is to prioritize and get resources to where, obviously, the immediate threat to life safety, uh, and then have to you know, order uh, resources from outside California, and that takes time, in some cases up to three days to get these additional resources into the state. So you really have to plan ahead uh, and and identify what do we anticipate the fire conditions going to be three days from now so we can plan for that today.
0: And Scott Stevens, the governor is talking about conserving power between two and nine, uh, especially with things like air conditioning. Uh, What other advice do you have for people, especially all the concern about the grid and managing that?
4: Well, I think we just have to do the best we can there. You know, it complicates, you know, sometimes communications complicates the ability for people to get information. But I think that's just another layer of this, which is unprecedented. To have this kind of pandemic on top of what we're going on right now is unheard of. We haven't seen it.
0: It's uh, feeling sometimes like an apocalypse. Uh, I don't want to get too dramatic here, but it certainly is catastrophic. And I want to invite you, our listeners, to weigh in here. Certainly want to hear from you what you're experiencing, how you have had impact uh, By the wildfires you can give us a call right now and i invite you to do that to join the program the number to call is 866-733-6786 you may also want to let us know what your concerns are your fears and what you have in the way of advice or wisdom if you have some to offer the number again to join us 866-733-6786 you can also get in touch on twitter and facebook we're at kqed forum or email us questions or comments, forum at kqed.org. We'll continue with Scott Stevens, professor of fire science at UC Berkeley's Department of Environmental Science Policy and Management, and Ken Pimlott, who is former chair of the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. And we'll also hear from a meteorologist. Stay tuned for more. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're getting the latest news about the Bay Area wildfires with Ken Pimlott, former chief of the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. Scott Stevens is also with us, professor of fire science at UC Berkeley, Department of Environmental Science, Policy, and Management. And I was going to go back to you, Ken, if a moment, uh, if I could, just to find out about, well, the background about this scientifically. I mean, there was so much vegetation once again, and the drought really made it... Uh obvious that we could be lit up and we were lit up in ways that we hadn't expected because of this lightning siege that we went under. Uh, there were trees uh, that were hit. There was not enough water. The, fo- the forests were overstacked. There was too much brush, plus climate change. I mean, all of this is like, once again, combining to make the situation as catastrophic as it is.
3: Absolutely. And I, I think you heard from the reporters on the ground talking about the, some of this, these areas haven't seen fire for over 40 years. Uh, it's all of the things you described combining to, to make this the, the catastrophic event that it is. Um, and I know you'll hear from Dr. Stevens as well. This is something that really trying to reintroduce uh, fire under controlled terms back into these communities, these areas. I know that state California State Parks and Cal Fire have been working in Big Basin State Park, for example, uh, to, to do some burning. But the scale at which we need to reintroduce uh, fire on our terms to reduce this fuel loading, to really uh, mimic what was occurring naturally before we started suppressing fire to protect people, Um, that really needs to happen. And the challenge is there's just, you know, millions of acres across California and these conditions are quickly outpacing our ability uh, to to interject uh, that kind of work on the ground. And um, again, what we're seeing right now is just um, an alignment of all of these forces. And we're really, you know, we're really suffering from the drought that occurred several years ago. The vegetation really hasn't recovered. uh, And of course, obviously overstocked. um, And of course you lay, you know, thousands of people in this urban interface area where these fires are occurring Um, it really is um, a design for the catastrophe that we're seeing
0: it's it's catastrophic and it's certainly devastating to put it mildly and cal fire at least has more helicopters and aircraft than they did before but they have less of an inmate crew uh, available and uh, i'm wondering if i can go back to you scott stevens uh i mean it seems like we're in for a long long battle here there's almost no way around it is there
4: no, I would agree, you know, with so many ignitions going on for so long, it'll be weeks before we get them all contained. But I have to agree with Ken, you know, Ken is a previous director of CAL FIRE and Tom Porter now, they really have moved the agency to a more proactive stance, trying to do more vegetation management, trying to, you know, certainly get more vegetation um, resources on the ground to do good work. The one thing I might say is maybe it'd be nice to have a, a program that we have better, maybe local expertise in communities to help people prepare for the of fire. You know, one thing we have at University of California Cooperative Extension has been doing this for agriculture for 70 years, helping farmers, helping people understand what they can do to maybe improve their situation, get ready for new ideas, new organic farming. I've talked about the idea of trying to do that with fire across the state from Modoc County to San Diego County, get people embedded in those communities to help people get ready for fire.
0: Well, we also have to monitor our ecosystem, don't we? in the wake of this?
4: Absolutely. No, the ecosystems are, are uh, so important. You know, we do so much to try to certainly keep people safe. I mean, and this is in paramount. And this is something that happens every year. But what about the long-term view? Just like Ken talked about a moment ago, you know, it really is about people and land, conditions of the land, the conditions of what the people are living. So we need to do better in getting our ecosystems better prepared for both drought, fire, and other aspects.
0: And Ken, can I go back to you for a moment and ask about the effect of not having the inmate crews that we had in the past?
3: Well, certainly anytime uh, we have a depleted resource and the the, in, the, the, the conservation camp program, our fire crews um, have been a, a mainstay for decades. And so the state's been working hard to try to find some um uh, replacements for that at least here in the short term by hiring additional seasonal firefighters and, and putting those folks uh, online and that's been extremely helpful but absolutely anytime uh, you know you have a reduction in a workforce um and and truly these folks are out are the ones cutting hand line uh, and doing a lot of that work um, it's going to have an impact and uh but those are the challenges that we're facing right depleted
0: excuse me you use the word depleted. depleted because of covid
3: Yeah, it's uh, obviously with trying to protect that population and, uh, you know, reduce the spread within the prison system. uh, Obviously, that's reduced the the number of inmates available to come out at any given time.
0: And again, Kent Plimlott is former chief of the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. I want to bring some callers on here and begin, Susie, with you in Santa Cruz. Good morning. You're on the air. Hi, Michael. What a terrible
5: time to be saying hello to you. Um, I've been thinking how Can this be happening? I live in downtown Santa Cruz. We have evacuation orders to get everything together. We have three families staying at our house who just evacuated from the surrounding areas. We're between five and 10 miles from two parts of the fire complex. And then I say to myself, why am I questioning the plausibility, the unbelievability of this happening when there is? Almost zero infrastructure. The whole state of California, and I imagine a great deal of the country, I mean, just, you know, name your climate crisis, the whole year should be spent discussing how to mitigate this, you know, these disasters. The other night, everyone's like outside going, wow, the lightning's so pretty. We, all, You know, <laughs> it. It was like, you know, for whom does the bell toll? It's outrageous. Everyone has questions. All we can think about is when they say there's not enough resources. And we think about the wealth of this country. We think about the president saying, don't send money to California because it hurts my election chances." We think about that. The cynicism, the skepticism is outrageous. And you wanna know another thing? Remember how Everyone's doing these little stunts and going to the supermarket without a mask and, you know, trying to create a scene. Well, suddenly those people have disappeared. Now that everyone is walking around with a paper bag with their belongings, trying to figure out where they can be, shaking, crying, trying to be brave for their children, suddenly everyone's very particular about not wanting to get COVID. You see all the people who are trying to get, you know, a, uh, a motel room voucher or get into the evacuation things. No one's complaining about masks now. After all, it's so smoky that you need a mask just for that.
0: Yeah, so- Susie, I appreciate your call and I thank you for it. That's Susie in Santa Cruz and the SCU Lightning Complex Fire Santa Cruz, which also includes Alameda, Contra Costa, Stanislaus, San Joaquin, about 85,000 acres at last count and uh, only 5% contained. But it actually is... Over five counties, I believe. Ken, uh, let me bring you back in here, Ken, because she was mentioning infrastructure and in all of this, and I wanted to uh, find out just how much the infrastructure is uh, is really threatened with these wildfires. Because uh, there are power lines down, there are cell phone towers that are down. The threat to the communications infrastructure is pretty serious, isn't it?
3: It is, and uh really all of the above uh the, at a critical time for our power infrastructure to be so impacted with the uh, uh, the heat wave uh, certainly uh, the ability to protect cell phone towers and uh, just uh you know back in two thousand and seventeen we in the North Bay fires, we really recognized how vulnerable our cell phone infrastructure is and how critical those cell phones are to notifications, so in the years subsequent to that we've learned a lot about how to protect those and work towards uh, using those tools for for early evacuations. The Public Utilities Commission back uh, in July unanimously passed a ruling to require our cell phone providers uh, to protect their cell towers with at least a minimum of 72 hours of backup power. Uh, That's a huge step forward. It's going to take some time to get that implemented because there's hundreds of those towers that aren't in compliance, Uh, but it is absolutely Uh, critical that we provide uh, better tools to protect that infrastructure. And we've been talking about the impacts of climate change and the changing conditions over a fire for the last several years and really sounding this alarm bell. And uh, these are the kinds of fires we've been talking about are going to be the normal going forward.
0: Yeah, I'm afraid it is the new normal, and I'm afraid that these fires can actually knock out the infrastructure. There's so many residents who depend upon for not only energy alerts, but uh, real-time information. I want to bring another caller in who's an evacuee. Bill joins us from Napa. Bill, welcome. You're on the air.
6: Uh, hi, Michael. Thanks for taking the call. You bet. Yeah, I'm, I'm an I'm a LNU evacuee. Uh, I live in the Circle Oaks neighborhood, which is about halfway between the city of Napa and Berryessa. As of this morning at 7 a.m., our our support guys up there tell us we're doing okay. But there is fire in the neighborhood. We had fire burn into the neighborhood last time as well, right up to my property line last time. And uh, I just want to give a shout-out to Tom Miller, Don Pridmore, Dave Nye. These are all guys who are out cutting lines with bulldozers and keeping the water company flowing um, that are really helping us out there. And for anyone who's interested in that area, I also want to mention if you look on Facebook on Our Ranch There's a gentleman that's our, like, Ralph Ranch. There's a gentleman who's posting videos a little bit away from our neighborhood, but Capel Valley area, Moskowite Corners. So he's actually posted videos several times in the last 24 hours, and you can get some good information that way.
0: Well, Bill, many thanks for your call and the information you provided us. Uh, Let me go right to Bob in Oakland, who joins us next. Bob, welcome. You're on the air.
7: Navajo, Bob.
0: If you're Bob, you're on the air.
7: Uh, so I'm calling, and yesterday I spent a half a day on the phone. I live in an RV with my dogs in Oakland, and I was trying to find clear air by the beach, by Jack Linden Square. Finally, I called because I was having some breathing problems, COPD. So well, I spent a half a day on the phone, and nobody at the Highway Patrol Fire Department had any information on where I could go to a website or anything. Uh, And I gave up and collapsed with exhaustion, Uh, and then the air cleared up, thank God. So I called back again this morning because I heard a doctor from UC Berkeley talking about the air. I called him on his cell phone, and lo and behold, the Highway Patrol had the information the whole time. So I just want when other people call up, trying to find a clear space. So I, I literally had to call every police department all the way to San Leandro, to Fremont, all the way down the line all the way up to Truckee, And they everyone said, no, there's ashes smoke here. Don't come this way. Uh, it was really frustrating And the whole time when I called back this morning to the higher patrol headquarters, the young officer gets on the phone. and said, there are websites go to, and the doctor from UC Berkeley, there should be a PSA for the public who want to escape and find at least Bob, excuse
0: me. I'm, I'm sorry for what you've gone through. And, uh, it sounds very frustrating. And, uh, Heart goes out to you. I'm just wondering maybe if Ken Pilmot can help us here uh, finding out how people can get to safety and how to get the information they need. Ken.
3: Yeah, obviously it's very dynamic fires, and so uh, the conditions change uh, throughout the day. Uh, Going to the the websites are key, both through Facebook and and the regular uh, websites. Uh, Cal Fires website is updated throughout the day with uh, current fire information, but also going to your local sheriff's departments, depending on which county you're in, whether it's Santa Cruz, Santa Clara, uh, San Mateo, or in in the fires in in Lake Napa, Sonoma, Solano. Those sheriff's offices are also posting real-time information uh, on uh, evacuations, uh, as well as uh, other pertinent information. Uh, the air quality is a challenge for all of us. Uh, I'm here in the Sierra Nevada foothills and uh, I'm experiencing the same difficult air. It's very hard to find places where you know, the air is, is refreshing for any of us, but uh, going directly to staying very connected with Facebook to Cal Fire and your local sheriff's department or local city police department uh, is key during this time.
0: And I should mention that we'll be talking more about air quality at 10 with Mina Kim. I want to uh, go back to you, Scott Stevens, if I may. And there's uh, a question from Terry. He says this may sound crazy, but it doesn't sound crazy actually at all. Why not have a state funded goat army to eat the dry vegetation? We could also use the goats to provide meat, milk and cheese for low income families. That's not so crazy, is it?
4: No, it isn't. I mean, you really literally, I think, have to look at all options. You know, um, things like goats, things like um, grazing. You heard earlier from Vacaville that the grazing helped keep that fire on the north side of Highway 80. So I, I really do think you have to put really all the options on the table and then try to make the best choice for your particular area that goes with forest thinning, maybe some things related to chaparral management, um, oak woodland management. So you literally, I think, use all the tools you can and have a concided effort to try to do this. And again, the state's doing better here. I have to give the state some credit. You know, there's $200 million a year right now for competitive grants that are actually awarded by CAL FIRE due vegetation management. I think we're in the third year of that right now five that was set up um, right at the end of the brown administration when actually ken was director that's unprecedented we've never had that before so it's going to take time though you know it's going to take a long time we can keep that up and actually start to change trajectory in our vegetation
0: well let me give you another suggestion and get your response uh and again Uh, Scott Stevens with us is professor of fire science at UC Berkeley, Department of Environmental Science Policy and Management. A listener named Joe says, would a network of lightning rods help prevent some of these fires? It seems the cost to install them would be far less than the cost to put out these fires.
4: Yeah, there's no doubt that, you know, something that could maybe take some of the lightning and maybe ground it. But when you have that many strikes coming in so quickly, you know, something on the order of 11,000, maybe in 48 hours. You know, unfortunately, that's going to overwhelm any system like that. You know, this is just inevitably going to start fires. Of course, we don't get these big lightning busts maybe every 10, 15 years or so. The last one was June 2008. It's not to say they're not important, they are very important. We're seeing it right now. But, you know, many times we have many more ignitions from things like electrical infrastructure and actually people. But, you know, we just, it's inevitable. I think. California is a state that used to burn a lot with indigenous people, continues to burn that way with indigenous people for a lot of resources. And it's a state that I call the pyro state because fire is such an integral part of its ecosystems.
0: I want to bring uh, Allison Bridger into our conversation. Allison Bridger is professor at the Department of Meteorology and Climate Science at San Jose State University. And Professor Bridger, welcome. You're on the air with us. Good morning.
8: Good morning, Michael.
0: I want to find out from you, well, this has been a rare summer of thunderstorms and lightning, and uh, it's fueled. Uh, the, fires, the fires have also been fueled by the hot, dry, windy weather. Generally, we have more heat and wind to come, though, don't we?
8: Uh, that's what they're saying. When I look at the models, I really don't see it as much for the next week. It really depends what kind of event you're talking about, because our normal fires are driven in the fall by the hot, dry offshore winds. And we're not quite in that season yet. What we experienced over the last few days is an unusually intense high-pressure system over southern Nevada and Utah, which was uh, spreading its influence towards us. So it was hot and dry. I wouldn't say it was windy last week. I think a lot of the time the air was very still, but it was hot and dry. And that's probably the main component that set the stage for this event what uh, about more have,
0: lightning storms? Likely well, possible.
8: Storm, more.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, lightning's you know, been striking across the state. We had uh, 367 fires, and we had uh, yeah. about ten over ten thousand lightning strikes in 72 hours. Are we going to have more? Is really, I think, what people uh, are wondering. So
8: the event that came through, I think you, your previous speaker said the last big one like this was in June 2008, and that also caused hundreds of. Uh, wildfires. They're relatively unusual, but they're not completely rare. Those of us who've lived here for quite a while have seen them before. Um, Whenever you have lightning coming on shore, even if it is rare, if it's coming in in the summer, then by definition it's been dry for weeks or months and the vegetation is ready to burn. And I can't promise that isn't going to happen again. There is a dying hurricane off the Baja coast. I think it's called Jean-Vivre, and some of the weather forecast models are bringing that up towards us, coming on shore Monday, Tuesday, but not all of the weather forecast models. So it's, it's something to keep your eyes peeled for. We really don't need any more of that.
0: No, we certainly don't. And Alison Bridger with us, Professor of the Department of Meteorology and Climate Science at San Jose State. And by the way, if you want to join us, you can do so toll free at 866-733-6786. Number again for your calls, 866-733-6786. As we come up on a break here, Professor Bridger, could you say something about the Santa Ana winds in this whole picture in California? Well,
8: Santa Ana winds are specifically a wind that blows in the Southern California and again, it's a fall event traditionally. Um, so it's not something we have to worry about at the moment, it's, it's especially because the big high pressure system to an extent is going to re-establish itself.
0: Allison Bridger, appreciate very much your being with us. Thank you so much. Thanks. It's Allison Bridger, professor at the Department of Meteorology and Climate Science at San Jose State. We'll continue with. Ken Pimlott, who is former chief of the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection, and Professor Scott Stevens, who is professor of fire science at UC Berkeley. Stay tuned for more. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny, and we are updating you on the fires that are devastating throughout the state of California. Three major complex fires right here in the Bay Area, and about 25 major fires, uh, collections of blazes, really, throughout the Northern California region. Uh, Let me bring some callers into the discussion again. David joins us from Humboldt County. David, welcome.
9: Hi. Thanks for a great show and for taking my call. I have a question for Chief Pimlott, and... I will apologize in advance. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, um, but I have to take advantage of this opportunity. Um, I've been a wildland firefighter since 81. I've been one of your contract fallers for a couple of decades. I'm involved with fire safe Councils, and I'm wondering and hoping that you could potentially support the establishment of a cadre of consultants that help people, uh, create and maintain their defensible space and harden their homes so that they're less inclined to ignite in the first place. I've been a defensible space contractor here in Humboldt County for uh, 30 years and even around here people don't really understand how to make it happen and hardly anyone even knows about uh, fire-hardened homes. I understand that CAL FIRE has an inspection program for defensible space. What I'm talking about is someone who can actually manage projects for individual homeowners and see them through to completion. I'm curious what
3: you think about that. Ken Pimlet. Uh Well, I think it's a great idea. Um, I think that uh, this is an area where uh, our fire safe councils and I'm, I'm active in our fire safe council here in El Dorado County in Mount Ockham, where we actually have defensible space volunteer doing defensible space. Um, evaluations for homeowners to try to help them understand what they need to do but this is a huge opportunity an area where the private sector uh can intersect with the fire agencies and resource agencies because this is if, if you, and you said it perfectly i mean this is where the prime amount of work needs to get done every home homeowners that move to the wildlands don't always understand what the risks are or what they need to do to help mitigate that and uh to be able to have uh some drip uh Private sector-driven opportunities where experts are available to do that. Um, I think that's welcomed, uh, and I think the, both uh, the local uh, fire safe council level and through the state fire safe council, I think there's great opportunity to help provide some standardization as to what some of that looks like, uh, and help um, provide some opportunity for contractors like you and others uh, to be able to provide that service to homeowners.
0: Well, let me thank Dave for his call and wish him the best of luck on that score. And Rita, question, Scott Stevens, for you from a listener named Patrick, who writes, I'm involved in a forest collaborative in Talaamanae County. We know what to do with fire and the conifer forest, but many of these current fires are in brush, chaparral, oak woodlands, and areas that are a mix of all of the above. What are the best ideas for reducing the fire risk in these areas?
4: Well, that's a great question. And you're right. You know, the forest and the chaparral and the oak woodlands are all different. You know, the Chaparral is the, def- the most difficult because it burns under high severity conditions. It really does burn when it does with, you know, crown fire with flame lengths 50 feet, 60 feet. I think in that system, you got to be strategic. You just pick your places that you think that maybe could really reduce the vulnerability to the wild and urban interface. And maybe you do some fuel breaks around homes. Maybe you could look at a ridge or some area that allows some strategic use. The oak woodlands are interesting. I think the oak woodlands actually you could do more with things like prescribed burning, the grazing. Another activity. So the oak woodlands, of course, were managed and are managed today by indigenous uh, Native Americans in ways that basically kept them at very low fire hazard and also produced things such as food and medicines and all sorts of other activities. So I think there's a lot we can do in the oak woodlands, the mixed evergreen oak woodland forests, the grassland. Chaparral was harder.
0: Well, here's a question sort of related uh, from a listener named Jean Louise, who writes, why doesn't California hire forest managers to help clear the dry vegetation? Isn't this a great time to train and employ? I learned in school that during the Great Depression, they paid people to dig holes, two birds, one stone.
4: And that's a great question, too. You know, one thing that's happened just about 10 days ago, Senator Feinstein from California actually released a bill with Congressman Manetta from Monterey, a wildfire bill, a fire bill. Inside that fire bill, you'll see that actually there is actually a call for create a program, maybe community college-based, that would actually train people to do some work in the WUI, to do restoration work. There's a call in there to do a Western U.S. prescribed fire um, training center to get people trained more to do prescribed burning. So I would say Senator Feinstein's bill is a little bit on, on target. Um, to do some of these things maybe with the training and also trying to get more education. There also is a grant program in there to allow people to through the U S department of energy to actually fire hard in their homes with a grant program. So I would say that bill is looking pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, we're getting, uh, I'd asked earlier for listeners, uh, always rely upon listener wisdom and asking questions that really cut to the chase here. And, uh, it's a frightening, a terrifying time to put it mildly, but we get always good ideas and light bulbs go over heads and, uh, We reap the advantages of that. Let me get another caller on. Here we go to El Cerrito and welcome Chris. Chris, join us.
10: Hi, I'm here. Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, go ahead, Chris. You're on the air.
10: So uh, my name is Chris. I'm a volunteer with the El Cerrito uh, Fire Department, and I'm trying to uh, publicize a test of the county warning system that will be specifically uh, activating Uh, It's the Contra Costa County Warning System, which is the primary notification system that would be used in the event of a wildfire evacuation. Uh, At approximately 8 a.m. this Saturday morning, the county warning system will be used. It's part of a virtual evacuation drill that will involve police and fire agencies uh, across uh, actually the, the county border between Contra Costa and Alameda County. Uh, So this is important for people who live in the Berkeley Hills. But uh, more generally, I want to just call attention to the fact that people need to ensure that they will get the message of the county warning system, either in Alameda or Contra Costa County. They can go to cwsalerts.com in Contra Costa County and register their cell phones. Additional action is actually required because the county is uh, having to change the number that will be used to send those notifications. So uh, people need to not only register their cell phones to get an evacuation warning, but they also need to make sure that those calls are not blocked as spam or uh, that they're uh, not blocked by the do not disturb settings on their cell phones.
0: Yeah, Chris, I'm glad you got the word out on that, and I appreciate that, and I'm sure listeners, uh, especially in El Cerrito, do as well. I want to get another caller on here, and that's Rob in Vacaville, who lost his house. I'm so sorry to hear that that's your situation, Rob. Please go ahead and join us.
11: Yeah, I just want to emphasize uh, the, the importance of listening to evacuation orders. Uh, we, One of my brother-in-law, my brother-in-law got a text uh, probably an hour before the fire was upon us saying that we were under warning of evacuation, but we didn't know how severe it was. We'd have fires in the community several times over the past few months, so we were kind of desensitized to it. Uh, but then um, by the time the fire was over the hill, like it was too late. The fire was on top of the hill and then in our backyard in a matter of minutes. We had barely enough time to get out with the information that we had. I mean, it was just... The whole thing was crazy. And I had been actively tracking the fires on Cal Fire's website, on their Twitter page, everything else. Uh, and last I saw, it was still two and a half, three miles away. So I thought we were fine. Uh, and then seriously, minutes later, it was in our backyard and on top of us. So uh, I know that we're trying to get these systems better, but there's just got to be a better way to get information out to people. I mean, we had CHP run down the driveway trying to tell us stuff, but like five minutes later, the fire was at our house. So.
0: Uh, again Rob I'm so, better, hard, better so sorry for what you've been through w- 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 tell us where are you living now
11: uh, so we were in Vacaville in Quail Canyon uh, we're currently in winters we had a, a B&B put us up uh, for free It tried to be generous of them so that's what we're kind of staying in the meantime but um, we got to figure out the next steps we're not sure what to do
0: well I'm so sorry again for what you've been through uh, any advice to people who I mean just from what you've been through that you want to share
11: yeah, I mean, so we live in a rural area. Uh, anybody who lives out in the hills or even anywhere near wildlife uh, interfaces, just have everything ready to go all the time. If fires anywhere near you, within 20 miles, I mean, these things move so fast. Just get everything ready, prepared, have a go bag, have a plan, have multiple plans. We've had to evacuate twice from our evacuation locations. So this fire dynamic, it keeps changing. Just prepare, 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 and do everything you can, and don't take it for granted because we we were desensitized to it, and we made mistakes, and we didn't lose anything. Uh, all of our family is safe all of our close pets are safe but we lost everything else because we just didn't think it was going to be as bad as it was now
0: and so, again we'll i am underestimate
11: uh, this stuff and prepare uh,
0: terribly sorry for your loss and i appreciate you joining us this morning on the forum program thank you for your call and good thank luck you. to you there's uh, no getting around it san Jose mercury news said uh, everybody in the state of california should be prepared and ready to go let me get another caller on julie joins us from san rafael julie welcome
5: Hi, thank you for taking my call. I was also calling about how difficult it is to get accurate information that's up to date. Um, I was driving through Highway 80 yesterday right before it closed and there were flames up to the freeway and this still wasn't being reflected on the CAL FIRE website. Um, I was going between all different maps trying to find information and it's like the maps don't talk to each other. You know, they only show one fire or another fire. The CAL FIRE website is often down and you know we've seen this in the past few years. This is a major problem, and it still hasn't been fixed.
0: Let me ask our guests to weigh in on your question, Julie. Best places to find uh, information, especially up to the moment information. Ken Pimlott, let's go to you first on that.
3: Well, first and foremost, I understand that frustration. Uh, I, I've had the same challenges trying to get information myself, and uh, as well as the, the, the these these fires are on. Um, quickly overwhelming the system and understand that with so many fires and they're moving so quickly, trying to get uh, information updated, get it validated and updated and posted uh, has absolutely been a challenge. And it's things that we have to continue to work on. Uh, I think it's conti- you're doing all the right things by trying to go to Twitter and the various resources. Um, at the end of the day, I think it really comes down to what the previous caller said. Um, Everybody needs to be prepared, and I I couldn't have said it better in terms of uh, when you have a fire anywhere close, we need to anticipate uh, the evacuation and need to anticipate that we're not going to get all the information right away and need to be prepared to, to leave. Uh, the fire as it encroached as on Highway 80 or Interstate 80 yesterday. Um, that moved so quickly, uh, with multiple spots and, and burning, that there was no way to anticipate, um, you know, when it was going to hit or that it was going to do what it did. Um, but these are challenges, and we could, I, I know that as a fire service and public safety community, everyone's continuing to try to find better ways to get real-time information. But when things change within seconds sometimes, um, it's very difficult and challenging.
0: It is indeed both difficult and challenging. Scott Stevens, I wonder if you have anything to add to what Ken Pimlet just said?
4: No, I would agree with Ken totally. You know, that fire, I was watching as best I could as well. I live up to the Northern California. I think inevitably what happens is sometimes these things are so dynamic, changing so quickly, that frankly the technology will never be able to keep up with some of these events. I hate to say it, but I think it's true. So then it's really on people to try to... uh, assess their situation and make their best judgment. You know, the caller that lost his house, very, very sad, you know, was had a sense of the place, sense of where he was. And then I think in a lot of cases, people are going to have to basically make, also make um, choices themselves because the information will not be available quick enough.
0: Let me thank Julie for her call. I'm going to go right to another caller in Lagunitas. Matthew joins us. Matthew, thank you for waiting. You're on the air.
7: Yeah, I, one thing that's not being discussed that I find troubling is the fact that California is overrun with cattle. There's over 5,125,000 cattle in California, and they're grazing on non-native introduced grasses and plants. What we need to do is be restoring our coastal prairie habitat, which is critically endangered. It's down to 2% of its historic, uh, uh, it's down to 2% left. And and we have cattle out here grazing when we should be letting tulio, the native plant a uh, native flora and fauna, you know, restore. And, and that would help mitigate some of these fires. In my opinion,
0: you've got a, I think, important point there, Matthew. I'd like to go to professor Stevens on that. Scott Stevens.
4: Yeah, this is very true. I know that there are immense numbers of cattle grazing in this state, and um, they do have ecological consequences. Yeah, I agree with you totally. You know, the coastal prairies, one of the most diverse ecosystem types of California. Most of them are basically Absolutely. gone, just like you've said. The Yamamutsan, you know, uh, tribe that actually is around Santa Cruz, is working to restore a bunch of the, those habitats because they're so important to them culturally. But I, think, I still think grazing is a piece of the puzzle. You know, it's, it is not going to be without consequences, as you say but it's a piece of the puzzle that we can try to do to manage fire risk.
0: And here's another caller joining us. Elena, good morning. Thank you for waiting. You're on the air.
5: Hi. Uh, I just wanted to call in because I'm a new Red Cross volunteer, and uh, I'm going to be hopefully sent out to help with these wildfires um, shortly. I just got the call last night to be ready. So,
0: <laughs> Good of you to volunteer, and good luck to you, and thank you for letting us know that you're in the game uh, here. Uh, in the efforts here, I should say. Uh, anybody can sign up to volunteer or help. Uh, can you say something about that, Ken Pimlet? They're needed. Volunteers are needed, obviously.
3: Absolutely. Uh, And and, and in an organized way. And so at the Red Cross, and thank you so much, Elena, for stepping up like so many others do. The Red Cross is an amazing organization helping support people in these communities. The best thing to do is to work back through the Red Cross, uh, other uh, faith-based organizations in your community, you know, do it with an organized group so that one, you can, you know, provide the best service and you know not out there on your own where you may be jeopardizing your safety or you know not working towards the greater effort but there are so many local organizations uh that you may be familiar with in your community but certainly the red cross uh locally uh and around the region is is such an important work and they need they need your help
0: scott stevens uh i'd like you to respond if you would to a question raised by a listener named gabriel who writes forests in california I used to burn every so often and recover perfectly well. Why is it so bad now? And how can we restore some kind of natural order?
4: Well, the caller's right. You know, many forests in California used to burn every seven, 15, 25 years. They did that for millennia. So when you take fire out and change that system with increased tree density, increased fuel, you're gonna change the character of the fire when it happens. We certainly saw that in the Rim Fire in 2013, other fires in this year in Nevada. So that just is on all of us to actually begin a real program to try to reduce tree density, do restoration, use prescribed burning, wildfire, maybe in remote areas that can actually do ecological work too. So we just begin that restoration work. And the thing about it is it never ends. It literally never ends. Once you restore an area, it has to be maintained over time, and then you're going to go to another area. So it's a conversation with the land that actually never ends, and it's on us to begin it in earnest and get pace and scale up.
0: And let me read a tweet by a listener named Philip, who says, frustrated that you're talking about the impact of the lack of incarcerated firefighters, yet not discussing how we use slave labor to fight fires who aren't allowed to become firefighters after prison and how horrifically unjust that is. Thank you for that tweet, Philip. And Diane tweets, people should use the website Purple Air to get a good idea about air quality, a great resource. And speaking of great resources and air quality, Mina Kim will be devoting a whole hour to air quality and the air quality index and uh, what you can expect out there with the terrible, well, challenges to breathing, to put it mildly. Um, Pam says, uh, another listener, please give us information about where the biggest fires are. Much of the news is not giving very much information on locations. Uh, I think we've been trying to break it down here. Maybe we ought to just get to the point where we break it down as completely as we can. Ken Pimlott, can you help us?
3: Yeah, I think what the biggest challenge here has been that there are so many fires there are actually many of them are burning together. And I think I lumped them into three major areas. You talked about the Santa Clara set of lightning fires. That's all centered around uh, Mount Diablo, south of Mount Diablo. that sort of that Diablo range, Alameda and Contra Costa County, uh, basically from an uh, uh, area uh, east of uh, Interstate 680 over the mountains back towards Interstate 5. Uh, uh, lake Napa, the complex, 131,000 acres there. It's really, if you looked at the area from north of Lake Berryessa all the way south past the lake to just across Interstate 80, and then east uh, into uh, the community of Winters, very large area. And then, of course, the fires that are burning uh, in Sonoma County in the Guerneville uh, area, a large swath there. And then moving south into the San Mateo, Santa Cruz, uh, you know, 40,000 acres that are burning really in a, an area up in the start in the San Mateo uh, Mountains. And now it's burning, it has been burning south. Down towards
0: it's devastating and it's vast. And thank you both so much. Scott Stevens, Ken Pimlott. We also spoke with Allison Bridger earlier. And we thank you for participating in this hour. Those of you who wrote us and who tweeted us uh Your questions, your comments, much appreciated, much obliged to all of you, and thank you for being a part of this opening hour. Stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny.
2: Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.